0: Welcome back to the Work Bold Podcast, where we chat with the leaders in commercial real estate to answer all questions, space as a service. This podcast is for anyone involved in commercial real estate in any way. If you're an investor, fund manager, developer, property manager, agent, or broker, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and this is the first episode of season six. This episode is sponsored by TSK. This is also the first episode I've recorded face-to-face since the pandemic began. I traveled to Toronto, Canada for a week of face-to-face meetings, and it was energizing to meet many of my virtual industry colleagues in person for the first time. Yes, face-to-face does matter. Before I kick this episode off, I want to give a big thank you to 111 for hosting us in their podcast studio. I gotta give them a shout out. 111 is a highly curated community for post tech companies based in downtown Toronto. I'm a big fan of their mission to enable Canada's leading high growth scale ups to relentlessly focus on value creation and business growth by helping nurture and develop their growing leaders. In addition to its state of the art 55,000 square foot space, it provides programming focused on helping post seed companies get the most out of their talent, ensuring that emerging team leaders and people managers are growing and learning as fast as their companies are scaling. They really took care of us. And I want to thank Matthew Lombardi and his team. Now, To introduce this episode, if you've been listening to the Work podcast for a while, you'll already know I believe that infinite mindsets are what we need in commercial real estate to support our customers as we navigate the new ways of working. In this episode, I'm joined by Toronto-based Stephen Shadetsky for a dynamic discussion on leadership and culture. I asked Stephen, how can leaders serve both their people and their shareholders when lately it feels like those are polar opposites and competing forces? You've often heard me say we need to put people at the center of the universe. Well, Stephen says we should be putting values at the center of the universe in commercial real estate, and we go on to discuss how leaders in our industry can win by becoming champions of positive company cultures. This was a powerful discussion for me. I hope you also find it inspiring. Now, I have a special surprise for you at the end of this episode, so keep listening past the closing music for a behind-the-scenes chat. As always, if you have any questions or feedback on this episode or topics you won't cover, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Caleb underscore Parker, or DM me on LinkedIn. Now, we purposely started this season with an episode on leadership, but it's serendipity that TSK are this season's headline sponsor. Personally, I find it fitting because I believe they are leading the way in creating places where positive company cultures thrive. And that is some of the bonus content you'll get to hear throughout this episode. Jeff, let's kick it. Welcome back to the Work Bowl Podcast. I'm your host, Caleb Parker, and today I'm joined by Steven Shedletsky to discuss how leaders in commercial real estate around the world can support great company cultures, both within their organizations and also to help our office customers support the success of their teams as we face unprecedented times. Every day, Stephen wakes up to engage with people in meaningful ways so that we connect with depth and live in a more fulfilled world. As an executive coach and advisor, he supports humble leaders, those who know they're both part of their problems and a part of their solutions who intend to put their people and purpose first. Steven is a prominent thought leader and speaker on leadership and the future of work, which is why I'm super excited to be speaking with him today. I'm going to go a little bit deeper on his bio because I think you'll appreciate hearing his background. Feeling stifled on his own corporate track, Steven was introduced to Simon Sinek's work and was immediately inspired by it. He met Simon in 2011 and became the fourth person to join his team. He began answering fan mail and became the first person outside of Simon to lead his social media efforts. He moved on to hold the roles of chief of staff and head of brand experience, training, and development. Leading a global team of speakers and facilitators at Simon Sinek Inc., Stephen worked to ensure the team's culture, products, and communications authentically reflected the organization's most deeply held values and beliefs. He also had the opportunity to narrate the audiobook for Simon Sennett's book, Find Your Why A Practical Guide for Discovering Purpose for You and Your Team. Stevens led hundreds of keynote presentations, workshops, and leadership development programs. Though Stevens still works to share Simon's message, helping to create a more inspired, safe, and fulfilled world, he also works to advance his own thought leadership on culture and psychological safety through keynotes, writing, coaching, and advising. Stephen has worked with leaders and organizations around the world and serves clients in any industry where human beings work, including commercial real estate. Stephen lives in Toronto with his wife and two young children. And today I'm sitting face to face with him at 111 here in downtown Toronto. Welcome to the WorkBold
1: podcast, Stephen. I'm pumped to be here with you, Caleb.
0: Oh, I am so happy. We've been getting to know each other this past year, virtually, and it just feels so good to see you face-to-face across the table, socially distanced, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I have to thank our mutual friend, Dave Cairns, for introducing us. It feels so good to finally meet you, Stephen, after knowing you virtually for the last year. In fact, Stephen kindly invited me to join in on his LinkedIn live sessions on the Future of Work recently. We're going to put the link to that in the show notes below. But shall we dive into this conversation? Let's do it. Okay. So Stephen, I'm an entrepreneur and I'm a big believer in capitalist economies, but I'm also a believer in servant leadership, which you talk a lot about. Mm -hmm. You say, and I'm going to quote you, leadership is a service to be given. Leadership and servant leadership are synonymous. To lead requires service and service to a cause great Greater than oneself and greater than profit, service to the people around you. So Stephen, how do great leaders serve their people
1: and their shareholders? So I think the distinction in this conversation is that I mean I'm also a capitalist. And and I think that we often position doing right by people and doing right by your bottom line as opposing forces, and they are not whatsoever. There's an order of operation. Every organization must exist to serve its end users. Duh. If you aren't existing to serve your end users, you're not offering value and then you won't be in business. But every leader exists to serve their people. The more senior you get in an organization, typically the further away you get from the customer. And so when organizations say customer or client first, or even student or patient first, they're inadvertently alienating the very people who deliver on that promise. So organizations exist to serve their end user leaders exist to serve their people when leaders serve their people people serve each other we will have bonds of trust and cooperation and then that always gets to the end user and then once you take care of the end user that takes care of the results which then takes care of the shareholders. So it's it's the order that matters. There's a fallacy out of the 1970s and 80s that the responsibility of businesses to maximize profit and shareholder value while staying within the bounds of the law and ethical custom. That's a Milton Friedman quote. Ethical custom is a low barrier. It's become ethical custom that toward the end of your fiscal year, if you aren't making your projections, even if you're profitable, but if you don't hit your projections, you then lay people off as a expendable commodity. That's BS. And so the responsibility of business, I think, needs to be higher and elevated. Uh, I think the responsibility of business is to advance a purpose, to protect people, and to generate profit in that order. And profit is third on that list because profit ought to be used as fuel to keep the crusade going. To advance your purpose, which has nothing to do with profit. Purpose is a human endeavor. Protect the very people who work with you, buy from you, you know, live in the communities where where you operate. And then profit is used to to reinvest in number one and two. You know, none of us would ever buy a car so we can put fuel in it. That's stupid. We buy a car so that we can go places. And so profit is an output that helps us fund the inputs to keep going. Uh, And so I don't think capitalism and serving people are opposing forces. They're complementary forces that when we serve our people, our people serve each other and that gets to the customer. I love that.
0: I think now is a good time for some insights from our headline sponsor, TSK. I've been saying the future of work equals the future of commercial real estate. The office has a crucial role to play as a tool in the platform of work. So I tend to agree with this nugget from TSK.
2: Buildings have always played a huge role in our lives. You know, it's where we're born, it's where we grow up, it's our home. Actually, in terms of how we progress our professional life, the way that we work with colleagues, collaborate, learn, grow, are coached and nurtured, they're physically part of getting together within a work environment. So our workplaces are a fundamental part of how we grow professionally and how we have fulfilled lives
0: how will offices need to change to support new ways of working? Stay tuned for more insights from TSK later in the show. Um, We often talk about putting the customer at the center of the universe on this podcast and on the echo chambers on social media that I exist in. And um, in commercial real estate, uh, the way it's built, the way assets are valued, it's all driven around making the maximum return for the investor. And I've been saying that if we put the customer at the center of the universe, putting people at the center of the universe, then the result would be the return on investment. And
1: I think that a lot needs to change in commercial real estate to make your point. Mm-hmm. Well, but it's it's also... I don't think we should put the customer at the center of the universe. I think we should put our values and beliefs at the, at the center of the universe. Because when we put our values and beliefs at the center of the universe, it, it's actually something that elevates. Because sometimes you can have customers who behave in a way that is counter to your values and beliefs. Which means, hey customer, that's not who we are. And you can't treat us that way, just like we treat you a certain way. Similarly, employees People on the team can actually act in line with the values and beliefs in which we should reward them in the way that they wish to be rewarded and and recognized. Or employees can live outside of the values and beliefs, which means I think we should offer feedback, coaching, discipline if necessary, offer them to the competition after repeated (laughs) interventions and they prove not to act within the values, which means trust is low. And so when we put the customer at the center of the universe, we're still putting the very people who deliver on the results for the customer at least second. So I think we should put values and beliefs first, which means, you know, no one is exempt from those values and beliefs and and behaviors, you know, as a leader, a whisper is a shout. And so if you list values and beliefs, but you don't live them, I mean, my favorite equation for culture is culture equals values multiplied by behavior. And you can even put to the power of N, meaning if you're in a position of leadership, your behavior has more weight, bears more weight on the impact of the culture. And so if you say these are our values, you should live them. (laughs) I'm not going to. That's the definition of not being an integrity. Integrity is doing what's right, even if it's hard, even if no one's looking. So I, I think we can elevate it to be greater than customers, the center of the universe. I think people, values, beliefs ought to be, which means we develop loyalty.
0: Well, that's profound. I hadn't thought of it that way. And uh, I, I think what you're saying about putting values and beliefs at the center is so important. And I believe that companies should be authentic with the impact they're trying to make on the world, be transparent about them, mm-hmm. about those values and beliefs and attract people that are like-minded are, that align with those values and beliefs. You know, I posted recently, I think it was LinkedIn, it might've been Twitter, that uh, bad company culture is a bigger threat to commercial real estate and the office than COVID-19 has been uh, because returning to the office sucks <laughs> if your company culture sucks, if, yeah. if the company has bad values and beliefs. Mm-hmm. So I believe that We in commercial real estate, instead of yelling, come back to the office along with some of these leaders, we need to lead the conversation on culture because the pandemic has pulled the covers off of these bad company cultures that exist in our buildings. Mm -hmm. So throughout this pandemic, we've seen some prominent business leaders demanding people get back to work, announce return the work mandates and sort of discounting the fact that people have been working this whole time. Mm -hmm. But then I've hosted quite a few people in this podcast, leaders in their own businesses who are empowering their teams to choose what actually works for them and what actually is going to help them be successful in their work and in their lives. Mm -hmm. So I'm just would love to hear from you. What sort of approach do you recommend leaders taking during this unprecedented time?
1: Yes, So first and foremost, you know, when you set up this, this question, you said bad values and beliefs. I think very few organizations or leaders have, well, some leaders have bad values and beliefs. I think very few organizations, at least in their marketing, or at least what's what it says on their walls or website have quote unquote, bad values and beliefs. I think what organizations and leaders have is bad behavior. So, I mean, Enron had amazing values, and they were about the same values as 95% of the other organizations, but they didn't live them. And in fact, there was unethical operations within that organization, and we know what happened to Enron and its demise. So first and foremost is a distinction that I don't think there are often bad values and beliefs, there's bad behaviors. I've appreciated from both you and Dave, because you've introduced this distinction in language, which isn't return to work, it's return to the office. Is like, what do you think I've been doing for the last eighteen plus months? I haven't been wearing pants, but I've been working very hard. And I've been balancing and juggling life and kids and family and pandemic and all these things. So the very utterance of return to work is offensive. And leaders need to know that their language matters and they ought to strike that from their vernacular. And you can say a return to the office. Now, when it comes to guidelines, context is everything. In some circumstances, I mean I I think that The default is uh, form and function. So look at the nature of your work. What actually needs to happen when and where by virtue of the nature of the work and by virtue of collaboration and what that looks like. So some organizations can be completely remote, like completely. I've been a part of an organization for 10 years that has been remote and it's been an intentional design. Do we still come together in person and brainstorm and collaborate? Yes, but we've purposefully designed a remote culture such that we could live and work from anywhere that we want with our families and do what's important to us. So long as we have, you know, quote unquote, responsible freedom. And so, you know, some organizations by the nature of the work does require that you are together for a particular period of time great i think it makes sense to have some guidelines not to say like a free-for-all but that's if the work actually needs to happen in person. But if the work doesn't need to happen in person, I think freedom and flexibility is, is okay. I mean, I view the future of how I wish to work. There are certain conversations that I think can be more powerful in person, which is around brainstorm, ideas, relationship building, especially relationship building. And then, you know, we all know that the big idea doesn't happen in the brainstorm. It happens after the brainstorm. And so, you know, I I'm good to have dinner and meetings and walking and all these things where the, you know, the serendipity can happen. But I'm also okay of hopping back in your mode of transportation, whether it's foot, car, plane, and then that eureka moment happens. So I think first and foremost, leaders should take a step back and actually look at the nature of their work, what really needs to happen in person versus what doesn't. Create some guidelines, because I think if you go free for all for everyone, you might create some some chaos. But yeah, I think first and foremost, look to the function of it and then what form does it need to take or can it take?
0: What's interesting, uh, Salesforce, Michelle Schneider was on the podcast previously, and she talked about how Salesforce has a focus on face-to-face, has a focus on relationships, mm-hmm. and therefore, they're keeping their offices open. However, they're empowering their people to choose when they come in, if they come in. And she said 20% of the people will never come back in full-time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 65% will be working in a hybrid capacity. And so I think it's interesting that coming out of this pandemic, this is how Salesforce is approaching this, even though they have an emphasis on face-to-face and relationships. But flexible working isn't anything new. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been doing it for over a decade myself. You talked about doing it previously. Yep. But for the first time in history, I think the majority of the knowledge workforce has the opportunity uh, or should have the opportunity and has been working remotely for two years. Mm -hmm. And so I think many of us have gotten used to working differently over these last two years. And we want to continue our new and improved work-life balance or blend or whatever you want to call it. There's some business managers who want to go back to these grueling 10 to 11 hour work days, no lunch breaks, you know, painting an an evil picture here, but it's not always that bad. But um, they think that, you know, nobody complained about that scenario for the last hundred years. So why should we go back to it? Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote a prominent commercial real estate leader from this city, Toronto. He talks about people who want to embrace flexible working or the minimally engaged employees. Now, this person also told his office customers mm-hmm. a lot of the banks that they need to find a backbone and bring people back to the office. Now, my aim is obviously not to pick on him. We, we totally can if you want. <laughs> I might in another episode. But, you know, as, as someone who believes that motivation is much better than mandating. Mm -hmm. I'm just curious to hear your views on how commercial real estate can be promoting the office without sounding self-serving or without being self-serving.
1: Yeah. I think the basis of this conversation is trust. You know, if you have a, if you have a bias toward someone or a population like your employees and you give them a ceiling, it's very hard for them to push through that ceiling But if you give people a higher ceiling and you lead with more trust, well, then people surprise you for the better. And so I think a lot of the so a lot of this behavior is rooted in fear. I think it's fear in a couple of directions, fears from managers of how can I control my employees to get outputs, which is not an optimal way of working and fear from commercial real estate providers of how do I keep my business model of old? still operating, even though there are burgeoning and better business models like space as a service, as an example. And so, I mean, when I'm asked, what big change do I see for the future of work from an employee perspective? I mean, we talk about work-life balance, but that means that work and life are opposing forces, which they are not. Work-life balance is about loving who we are at work and loving who we are at home. And by the way, for the vast majority of us, that's been the same place. And so I've been trying to do practices like when my work day ends, I take a deep breath, I might even change clothes or whatever it might be to transition to now I'm dad, now I'm husband, now I'm at home work and life aren't opposing forces. And when I look to a change that ought to occur, it's now work-life integration or work-life harmony. I think it should be far more acceptable for a parent or a caregiver to an elderly parent saying, I need to take an hour and a half to go take my kid to an emergency dental appointment. Whereas previously, you know, sorry, honey, we'll do this off hours because mommy or daddy needs to go to work. I, I think that's something that we're gonna see more pervasive, which is good and healthy. We also know that the relationship with our boss, this is research from Gallup, our relationship with our boss has more of an impact on our health than that of our relationship with our family doctor. And I have some of those in my family, and I'm comfortable saying that because it's the truth. We just know this. And so, you know, um, there's brilliant research done by Neil Doshi and Lindsay McGregor in the book Primed to Perform. They talk about total motivation. So when you look at the motivation of an individual, a team, or the population of your employees, there's they look at six things they call them their direct motivators and indirect motivators whether they're part of the work or not there are three direct motivators three indirect motivators you want the three direct to be high play purpose potential play is the most powerful motivator two times more powerful than purpose which is mind-blowing for a guy who spent the last 13 years uh dedicated to to purpose but play is flow play is and is doing work for the sheer enjoyment of doing it when you get lost in time, right? Managers ought to help their people find play. Experimentation, when you experiment, a natural result of that is failure. You have to make failure okay. Reward the risk. Keep going. Purpose, that work you're doing, you can see the impact on other people and potential. I see that the role that I'm in now will help me to get to the next role. There's also three indirect motivators that you want low. Those are emotional pressure, fear, shame, guilt. You come back to the office because I told you to. Ooh, that's motivating, right? You, Everyone must come into the office three days a week. Ooh. Why? Because that's not a good enough reason. How about frame it in the sense of it'll help you get, increase your play purpose and, and potential. Now we're talking. And it's interesting to see, you know, some organizations where people come in and how their careers will advance versus people who stay home, how their careers will advance. Not impossible, just harder to navigate. But that's an interesting conversation, as well as the impact on office people coming in or not on their career path is an interesting conversation. So, emotional pressure, economic pressure, you do something for a reward. Like, you know, someone could tell me, hey, Steven, if you lose 15 pounds, which I've been trying to do for a good two years, I'll give you $3,000. If I go, ooh, $3,000, the likelihood that I'm going to lose that weight and keep it off really low. But if I go, ooh, 15 pounds, I want to really do that. Now my play purpose and potential is high. The likelihood that I'll lose that weight and keep it off is high because I'm not doing it for the reward. I'm doing it for the sake of doing it. And then the last indirect motivator is inertia, which is I do it because that's the way it's been done, which I think is actually an interesting conversation for return to office because so many people are returning because that's what we did pre-pandemic. Well, uh, I hate to tell you, but the world has changed. And so when it comes to people in the commercial real estate industry, I think you need to find how can we actually take our product and best serve people? Duh. I mean, this is the conversation on capitalism, the invisible hand. Find the best possible way to offer value and the people who provide the best value should succeed in the long run. Something that will be interesting is those with deeper pockets and deeper power will get in the way of that, but that can only last for so long. They can only suppress a good value for so long.
2: Physically, offices will move away from doing things that they never did very well anyway, such as supporting people doing private confidential focused tasks. I think what we're now seeing is this sense that an element of choice is applicable on an individual level. The office will now support things that home card support as well, such as collaboration, learning, creativity. What we're looking at is more of a blended work environment that acknowledges that diversity of work activity.
0: So you're saying that the world has changed. What's worked in the past for people isn't going to work going forward. So therefore, the product needs to change to provide a better solution.
1: Yeah, always. I mean, the only difference, like people now say we live in uncertain, unprecedented times. Have we ever not? The only thing that's changed is the pace. It's just been quicker. There's a funny meme that I saw toward the beginning of of COVID where God was speaking to one of his angels Standard project management meeting, and God asks, you know, how how's it going with those plagues that I asked you to implement over the next decade? And the angel, you know, coughs on his coffee and goes, <clears throat> "Decade? Yeah, we're ahead of track. Yeah, doing really well. So twenty. So it's the rate of change has increased. This is change that would have come anyway. We were trending in this direction of increased flexibility with the advancements of technology, and it is a competitive advantage. If you're based in Toronto, like good for you to be able to hire someone who's in London, Bangalore, Sydney, New York, L.A. Duh! And now your your organization can actually operate at a, at a, at a global time clock as well. Cool. So I think these were changes that we were seeing coming anyway. It's just been a rapid acceleration. So many of my clients that I worked with, they were able to implement things that they've been working on for years because they now had to. And the speed at which they were able to implement, you know, virtual recruitment and onboarding Hmm. in the context of of HR. It's like we were ready. We flipped a key. We did it in two to three weeks. And now I hope that our organization doesn't force us to go back to the old way because this way is so much more effective. And efficient, so I'm not anti getting in person for sure. But it has to make sense, and if it can be done just as well, if not better, virtually, go for it. I want to touch
0: on the competitive advantage angle that you mentioned. Yes, Um, you know, I believe that the leaders who are leaning into this flexible working and have flexible mindsets are assets for their organizations. Mm -hmm. But on the flip side, when the competition is embracing hybrid working. Do you think that the leaders who aren't become a liability to their shareholders?
1: Oh, sure. I mean, it simply means that you have less access to an employee base or an employee pool. I mean, look at, you know, the workforce is becoming far more accessible because of flexible ways of working. So, you know, let's say you're a new mother or a new father who wants to be around to take care of the home while the kids go to school or whatever it might be, and they can only put in three or four hours a day, but it's high quality, good work are you going to say no to that you know so i i think it is a competitive advantage to accommodate your employees if you're closed to doing that you're simply closing off access to human beings who could give you their ideas discretionary effort and quality work so yeah for sure for sure it'll it'll lead to 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 results and in employment and time it's always based on context Like, I can't come into the office now or I want to work this way now, but talk to me in five or ten years. My life could be totally different, and I might want new or different things. Well, the future is flexible. Mm -hmm. I keep keep saying that. Both flexible and unpredictable. For sure about that. Yeah.
0: So, Stephen, you talk about leaders being the ones who help point us towards the future and make us feel safe. Mm Mm-hmm how can we lean into the future when a lot of money is invested in returning to the past, especially in in my industry?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, there is a lot of money in Lehman Brothers and it only took them a few weeks to totally crumble. I mean, I don't care how much money and how much legacy, how much time you've been, you know, supreme and in power and in charge. I mean, we all know the story of David versus versus Goliath that, you know, these large institutions that have a lot of money invested in the past, like this is how the world works. You find a better way to serve people. Even if you suppress that, you've unpacked a better way forward and other people will go, yeah, that. And there, there will be flywheel momentum. So just because something has worked for you in the past doesn't mean that you ought not create the future. I mean, Blockbuster was offered to buy Netflix for $50 million multiple times. They're like a subscription model. See how much money we make on late fees? 17% of our revenues are on late fees. How's that working for them now? There's one retail blockbuster location in the world, and it's practically a museum. It's in Bend, Oregon. I've been there. And they still charge you for late fees. And if they had VHSs, they would still charge you if you didn't rewind it. Like, it's an antiquated business model that is not service-oriented. This is Adam Smith economics, that if you offer people a better product at a better price, over time, people will choose that one. It's just a matter of time.
0: So then, okay, well, that brings me on to advice. What advice would you give a business leader in commercial real estate Mm -hmm. who's thinking about how they want to support their customers in a post-pandemic world
1: looking forward? So I think a couple things. So one, what advice would I give to a business leader is, so work-life integration and work-life harmony is happening. So embrace it. And the more you repel it, the more your people will resent you. And I'm not saying, you know, create conditions where people can take advantage of you because there's interesting things. When you trust your people and give them more leash, the other people on the team don't want you to ruin it for the others. So if you actually take advantage of that trust and and leash, typically the team will go, don't do that because they're going to take it away. You know, trust is earned. The other is I think leaders need to take care of themselves. I think so many leaders are burning out. And when you're ineffective as a leader, you're ineffective for your people. You know, there are so many people in this great resignation. There are so many people suffering. And I think people are suffering because their bosses are also suffering. And so for for us to be able to take care of others, we need to take care of ourselves as well. And I think organizations need to cultivate and and foster that. I think if, you know, I've seen organizations go, you know, take the time you need. You should, like they they make employee well-being on the onus of the individual employee. Tick box. Yeah, that's not cool. And it's like, you know, get all these results done, but like, please like enjoy your weekend as I email you three times asking where you are on X, Y, and, 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 and Z. That's BS. So I, I think, you know, it's, it's cascading that if leaders themselves aren't doing well, how can you expect their people to do well? Because the leaders don't have the capacity to lead them. When it comes to what advice I would give to commercial real estate leaders, listen. Uh, listen to what your customers actually want and need, and then do as Wayne Gretzky did and skate to where the puck is going. You know, don't put the behind you like go and yeah i mean have the courage to go what would be a better way to to do this here how can we actually innovate and create better solutions as opposed to locking people into to products that don't serve them because if you continue to keep doing that all of a sudden your customers will disappear so yeah actually figure out what's a better way to serve them and then do it
0: i think that's a new hashtag is a hashtag skate towards the puck.
1: Yeah, probably an old hashtag. It, it probably existed. It did exist before hashtags I'm gonna existed. I'm going to claim so. it and say it's new. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. Hashtag Gretzky.
0: No, I, I appreciate what you're saying about um, leaders taking care of themselves. I'm just, you know, speaking for my mm-hmm. own self. I'm the type of person that is always on. You know, if I'm on vacation, I've got my phone. And, and be, because I'm able to work remotely, mm-hmm. I'm able to take a little bit more time when I go somewhere on vacation, spend an extra day or two because I'm going to work remotely there some of the time yeah and it's great, but the flip side of that is I could be getting messages, emails, whatsapps at dinner time that I don't necessarily want to respond to, sure, but I feel compelled to mm-hmm. so I have to sometimes put those boundaries up and say, You know, hey, got your message' can't talk right now. Um, So it's about finding those boundaries, I think.
1: Yes. I think it was Adam Grant who posted a brilliant post on boundaries, that boundaries involve at least two relationships. Like if I set a boundary, but I don't communicate those boundaries to the very people that I want to respect them, like shame on me. So I also feel you, but it's like, how often do we get pissed off at our phone or the people... Reaching out to us, but like they have, we've, we've given them no window or empathy into what's going on for us. And so I've learned to attempt to use the technology to my advantage rather than the other way around. So You know, and I, my calendar is public to my team. So they see when I'm in family time uh, and they know, like I've trained them. So they'll even tell me, stop responding. It's your, it's your dinner time. (laughs) Like they know, or it's like, Hey, I'm going to go dark or silent for a few hours or I'll get back to tomorrow. Communicating Um, that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, if we don't communicate our boundaries to the very people we we want to respect them kind of shame on us this is the benefit of an autoresponder this is this is the benefit of of telling people where where we actually are and what's and what's going on
0: In our last season robert kinward talked about this because he's sort of a, a cynical voice on flexible work mm-hmm. he's a supporter of flexible working but he's a bit cynical on it and he says that sure we can have flexible working but there needs to be boundaries and um i'm if wondering with so many different preferences from team members throughout an organization mm-hmm. who sets the boundaries i mean
1: it's multiple i think it's both senior leaders and the individual so again remember culture equals values times behavior and behavior to the is to the power of, of n meaning that if you're in a role of leadership so i think leaders set the tone But people still have to choose. I mean, I'm thinking of one friend of mine who works so hard and way too hard and it's remote and, you know, they'll work like, you know, 70, 100 hour uh, work weeks, kind of by choice, kind of not by choice. But as leaders, you need to help your people get out of their own way if they're type A workaholics. You know, you can't simply say like, well, you shouldn't do that. Well, then stop assigning so much work to me or, you know, stop making me the one who always swoops in and solves client issues. We actually need to build a bench. So I think it is both. It takes two to tango in any relationship, but senior leaders are the parents in that relationship and their behavior and what they tolerate and don't bears more weight. So I would love if the commercial real estate leaders that I'm speaking with,
0: I I hope they're listening today, but I I would love for them to be able to to work with you in some way. How does that work? How are you supporting leadership teams today?
1: So first and foremost, in, in, the, in the intro, you uh, said humble leaders. So I love supporting humble leaders. The way I define a humble leader is someone who knows that they're at least a part of the problems they experience and a part of the solutions that they can create. If you aren't willing to look at yourself and see that, huh, I'm the one common thing between myself and all my failed relationships. If you aren't willing to look there first, I'm don't really want to support you because I want to feed the hungry. I want to help people who want to be helped. And if you're the type of leader who, though it is very hard to, it requires courage to stand up to short-term pressures to put your people and purpose first. But if you want to do it, I love supporting you, um, which looks like one-on-one coaching, which looks like executive team coaching, talks, workshops, consulting, advising, and eventually a podcast of my own too, one of these days. Well, and yeah, And I'm and I'm actively uh, writing both on LinkedIn and writing work on how to help leaders 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 actually listen and how to actually create psychological safety, there's two pieces I'm learning to psychological safety. One is creating the environment where people feel safe to speak up. And then once they do speak up, you actually reward the behavior. If you ignore or punish people when they speak up, you're you're, you're toast. You will live the, the Andy Stanley quote that leaders who do not listen will eventually be surrounded by people who have nothing to say, which is dangerous for the success and longevity of your organization.
0: So what I hear from that is commercial real estate needs to not only listen to their customers, but they- their people as well and create environments where they can speak up on behalf of their customers on behalf
1: of their team members and on behalf of their own ideas and it's not enough to say that won't work or demean people or that doesn't work in our current business model yeah who cares let's make a better one so
0: yeah 100 percent, brilliant
2: You can see in the future that there might be a shift from out of town to in town because of travel. And therefore, actually, if people are working in a more fluid way, actually how do you support much more peaks and troughs in terms of population usage of a workplace in a different way? There have been many sort of common parallels between all of our clients. Many of them are looking at how do we work? Where do we work? What is the compelling advantage of the office? How does it link to the themes that make the office or connecting people powerful? It's not about process work anymore. It's not about managing calls or coming together to do simple tasks, is about doing complex tasks together.
0: For more insights from TSK, check out their documentary in the link in the show notes below or visit tskgroup.co.uk. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts on leadership and your experience, your insights. I want to move into the quick fire round. Really quick questions, really quick short
1: answers. Sure.
0: And the first question is, who inspires you in the future of work topics?
1: I'm looking at two of them right now. Uh, Dave Cairns is in the room, yourself, Caleb, absolutely. You guys have helped open my eyes, heart, you know, world up to how we can do things better. Leanne Davey is a good friend who's speaking about, you know, effective return to office protocols and not just making it an absolute free for all, unless you can offer complete flexibility because it works. Michael Callis is a local friend who owns and operates Callis Real Estate, and I admire him and his courage and how he's leading with a with an infinite mindset and putting trust and values ahead of short short-term profits as well
0: trust and values ahead of profits amazing yeah uh, okay so so what what podcast you, you mentioned you're going to have your own mm-hmm. podcast yeah soon yeah I- can tell you where to go for that. <laughs> but um, what podcast or media do you consume to sort of stay up to date on your own challenging your own thinking?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm so grateful that I have an amazing group of friends who send me stuff that I ought to read, so that's a that's one. I listen to Adam Grant's Worklet podcast quite a bit. I listen to Brené Brown, Susan David, Malton Gladwell, and I Pay attention to my news feed on my news app and on my my LinkedIn feed as well, and just you know clicking into things that already prove what I what I believe and agree with with data, and click into things that also I don't agree just to mess with the algorithm because I don't want them to only feed me things that I already agree with. I need to see a more holistic approach. Brilliant, yeah.
0: Very light question is mm-hmm. the last one. Mm-hmm. Where's your favorite vacation destination?
1: Wherever my family is. Okay, good one. Yeah, excellent. I I love going on vacation. So two two things. One is new experiences as well as returning to places where you feel like you're already at home and you just unpack and you're there. So those two, but so long as I'm with people I love. Sounds like it could be a business opportunity for somebody. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for sharing today. All your
0: wisdom, Stephen. Really appreciate it. Where can our audience find you on social media?
1: I believe for the present time, I'm the only Stephen Shudletsky in the entire world. Apparently it's not like Smith in Poland. So if you look me up- Or Parker in England. There you go. (laughs) If you look me up, you can find me on all all the places Shed Inspires, S-H-E-D Inspires on Twitter and Instagram and very active on LinkedIn as well. Well,
0: uh, we'll put the links to all of your social media in the show notes below. One of a kind, Stephen Shedletsky. Thank you so much. Until next time, take care of yourself. So uh, little did you know that Dave Cairns was in the room with us. We're going to keep the going here just for a second, have a conversation. Dave, thanks for arranging this. Thanks for introducing me to Stephen, and thanks for being you. I'd love to have sort of a little conversation Mm-hmm. Just continuing what we've been talking about, the future work, commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah no, they,
3: absolutely. Well, we, Caleb, what, what,
0: do we do okay, by the way? Did, you guys
3: nailed it. Okay. I love you both. This is just such an amazingly beautiful representation of the inflection point that we're all experiencing. And none of us would be in this room right now were it not for that. And you mentioned, uh, little do you know. Some people actually do know because I've already posted a video on social media about the fact that this is happening
0: right now. I need to check my phone now. <laughs>
3: But no, it's been really awesome. And it was really cool to listen to this conversation. And it's so incredibly illuminating to realize how leadership, specifically servant style leadership, is so crucial to the future of work conversation and notably the future of the commercial real estate mindset. We need to shift the product, but we definitely need to shift the mindset. We're not going to shift the product unless we shift the mindset. One hundred percent. So Steven, I thought I could just like bring up a couple of things I've noticed recently and get, get you know, your collective take on it. Not just Steven, but um, yeah, you're the expert in this area.
1: I will say one, we, you know, we, we described servant leadership. I think it was the opening quote. It was the opening quote. You shared, Caleb, servant leadership and leadership to me are synonymous. If you are leading without service to your people in a cause, you are not leading. (laughs) You are simply a title. Yeah. And so I think servant leadership and leadership are synonymous, but. Well, it's great for you to like make that
3: distinction, right? Because for us in the normal world who don't deal in leadership all day long, we have to make that distinction because we're used to the fake one. Um, yeah but um yeah, so so I've been talking a lot about future of real estate, future of work and and notably recently as there's been more comfort in, in kind of getting back into workplaces in some parts of the world because of vaccinations. I've noticed that a lack of psychological safety, is something that is driving a lot of individuals not wanting to come back into a workplace. And so I'll just cite a couple of examples. Um, one individual let me know that uh, she was working on a, a group collaborative project since January of 2021, and she's in the real estate industry. And now that um, a bunch of her colleagues are in the office again, she was actually excluded from a meeting on a project that she had a direct role in. And I was just- done. Why, why was she excluded? Well, I mean, the the implication was that she made the choice to not show up in person.
0: So so they said, we're having a face-to-face meeting. Sorry, you can't come. We're going to have the meeting without you. It was more like covert, you know, like she she was
3: remote that day and tried to dial in and was conveniently blocked from, from participation. So I thought that's like super disturbing. Um, and then another one that keeps coming up for me uh, in conversations is around business attire. Uh, a lot of people have been able to be more authentically themselves by not being in the workplace and not being mandated to wear something that does not conform to the way that they'd like to present themselves. And now some of these people are saying, you know, I'd even like to be in the workplace despite the pandemic raging, but they don't want to go in because they feel there's a divisive culture at play.
1: Because of attire or that is but one example?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, it's the expectation that they are meant to be wearing a suit
1: yeah. When they never wanted to
3: wear one in the first place, but now they're self-aware to that fact.
1: Yeah. I mean, one one thing and I've seen it. My wife, she's trained as a school teacher. She, she's a speech pathologist. But one of the things is, you know, I think we take for granted that access to technology and Wi-Fi is like the air that we breathe. But yet that is not a pervasive access to to all So from an education context, but then also, yeah, I mean, if someone's a key collaborator on something, we should make accessibility and accommodations for them to still listen in and be a voice. Yeah, that's
3: happening. Interestingly, in this building right now, the best version of it, the LumaQ team, shout out to Michael Kravchuk and Adam Berkovich, who are amazing founders, are currently in the boardroom right now having a very inclusive hybrid meeting where they're all facing the screen, uh, discussing whatever they're discussing with those that are remote. Remote. That's the future. And I'm baffled by the fact that there's organizations out there that have not learned that lesson yet. Why
0: have they not learned the lesson? I don't understand why you wouldn't do that because, you know, just back in London, almost every week I'm having hybrid meetings now. If we can be in person, we're there in person. But those who can't, sometimes I've joined virtually and sometimes I've joined in person, someone else has joined virtually. It's common sense for us.
3: You know, it's clearly the industries that are wanting the status quo. Others have said things like, you know, those that are remote are at the kids' table and those that are in person are at the adults' table. A very, very disturbing distinction to make. But I think, you know, we're seeing these conservative industries Mm -hmm. who want the reversion back to normal, you know, pushing these agendas. How do we help them?
1: Well, one, they'll feel the pain when the people they're placing at the kiddie table leave. I mean that's one place where they'll feel the pain, and then bravo to you. You can have your you know in person only club. Uh, but by the way, we're also not out of this pandemic. Like you, you don't know if and when this thing will continue to evolve to the point that we might actually have to retreat and go back to virtual or whatever else might happen in the future. So yeah, you're you're simply losing a competitive advantage by saying only if you can be here in person and then what's also funny is what are the accommodations made for senior leaders when they need to go on business trips or be with family or whatever it might be and yet we still cater to them and include them virtually oh and by the way people have been doing this for years look at star wars (laughs) there are people you know holographing into to meetings via star wars you know, like people up, up on the screen, they're on a screen in a meeting and it was freaking 1980, whatever. Mm-hmm. So this... You know that Star Wars was a movie, right? Some believed it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm aware. But no, let me ask you
3: one other thing, though, because here's what concerns me for people in conservative industries. Mm-hmm. The alternative for many of them, based on their skill set, is to go to another organization that has the same bullshit
1: leadership style. Yeah, I think skills are transferable. I think it requires a little bit of courage, but there's nothing stopping someone, I think, think from finding ways to transfer their, their skills or creating, joining, finding a more progressive organization or just wait enough time, it'll change. Mm-hmm. I think it will. I think it's, it's what we said earlier is that
0: when someone does it and drawer our friend drawers written about this before when one company embraces hybrid and another one doesn't then there's going to be some attrition yeah and when that happens it forces every other company when pwc just you said this i think dave on your linkedin when pwc i think when they announced their flexible working for everybody all of a sudden it forced their competitors to do the same thing
3: Mm -hmm. Mm. well i've been firmly of the belief that the best way to get people to come back to the office is to let them know that they don't have to come back if they don't want to and i think it'll be interesting I bet you you'll see more PwC employees in the workplace than you will from some organizations that have basically mandated a top-down approach.
1: I'll, I'll also just say that, you know, a thought that's coming to me is through my life and career, you know, I've been exposed to amazing Great leaders who have made me feel safe, made me feel seen, safe, and heard. I've also been exposed to leaders who made me feel the very opposite. Now I've learned to apply a neutral sort of Buddhist approach to it, that it is not good or bad, it simply is. And if it is, it isn't for me. And if it isn't for me, I will strive to make a choice. Now, not everyone has the luxury of making this type of choice based on their circumstances. I'm talking financial circumstance whatever the circumstance is but what i what i will Offer is a little bit of a holding it lightly. Like, if there's a, you know, it's like if a restaurant both decides to do in person eating and drive through, all of a sudden they're accessible to more people. But there's nothing putting a gun next to a head to say to an organization, you have to have drive through or takeout. But as soon as you do have drive through or takeout, you're simply accessible to more people, you know. And when I do drive through or takeout from one of my favorite restaurants, does it taste as good or as fresh as it is when I'm in the actual restaurant? Maybe not as good but still pretty darn good and so i think these are you know i I don't think we need to force organizations to do this i think the organizations that will provide more flexible ways of working and more accessibility can simply appeal to more people Mm -hmm. i got one last interesting thing to debate
0: well so i just want to say that i don't think i mean i don't come from the perspective that we need to force anyone but i think the market will force them oh for sure for sure yeah Mm -hmm. for sure
3: well, okay, so if we look at the pandemic, we've seen restaurants, like high-end restaurants have gone to takeout mm-hmm. because they've had to adapt. They've had no choice, otherwise no revenue, right? Yep. We've seen convened in the, in the meeting and events business pivot to building a hybrid and uh, online-based uh, meeting platform. They literally built technology in the pandemic. But when we look at commercial real estate, Even flexible providers in commercial real estate, but notably traditional providers of commercial real estate, the sky is still blue on their balance sheets. People are still paying them rent and nothing has actually tangibly changed. And yet the earth is moving underneath them. So how do we, again, have them see that for what it is and start to make productive changes?
1: So a healthy balance sheet in the now does not mean a healthy balance sheet in five years from now when leases or whatever assets run out. So the perfect example of this is Kodak. So Kodak was the first organization that not just discovered, invented digital photography. It was in 1975. It was by an engineer named Steve Sasson. He presented it to the board and the board said, suppress the technology. And he's like, well, squeeze me bacon powder? Like, what? They said, suppress the, the technology. The the, the senior leaders in the board looked at their wonderfully horizontally uh, vertically in, uh, horizontally integrated business model that was in their traditional film sales. And they went, we don't want to disrupt our, ourselves. We know this is the, the future. They, they said nobody wants to look at a picture on a screen. The image quality is too low. And we all know how we <laughs> look at our photos now. Mm-hmm. Their balance sheet was wonderful up until the 90s. Because they had patents. This is it's, still a long runway, I guess, right?
3: Like how many years until they realized the problem they had in. they had about
1: ten to fifteen years and they did nothing. And then as soon as the patents ran out, five years later they were bankrupt.
3: So that will still happen here. So hopefully there's some real estate people listening that decide, okay, I'm not gonna be Kodak. Let's
1: listen to Steven. <laughs> Evolve or die.
0: Well, it makes you wonder if people in commercial real estate, some people want to suppress the flexible movement because it's, you know, they're-, they're Are you it, wondering, Caleb, or no, are I, you 100% I sure? <laughs> I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's some people that would like to suppress it. And look, I, I don't have an MBA from Harvard or, you know, I'm not the numbers guy, but the way that people make money in real estate will be different going forward if we embrace flexibility. Mm-hmm. And if we if we do that, it's going to mean that they have to change the way they've been doing things and who likes change. And that change is going to shift power a little bit and people don't like giving up some of that power.
1: Yeah, but they could, they could be the change. They 100%. have every opportunity. It might, it will require to provide flexibility, they will need to flex themselves, but they can be the change. So I'll share one last story, which By the way, you guys are heart of leading the change, which means like you don't necessarily have to put up picket signs and rally against, just keep going on the path, like you're creating it. People want this. You know, you can be aware of the very thing that is making it harder for this more flexible way of becoming pervasive, but only choose to make them a worthy player If indeed you can learn something from them and it could be that they are making it so hard for you to advance this, that it's worthwhile studying the tactics of how they're doing it, or even studying other examples of how power gotten away from change that you believe in happening. There's got to be examples of that in history. So the, the last story I'll share comes from Ben Zander in his book, The Art of Possibility. He tells a story of two entrepreneurs at the turn of the 20th century that went to a more developing country. They were shoe salesmen. And one shoe salesman telegrams back to headquarters saying, opportunity hopeless. They don't have shoes here yet. The other salesman telegrams back wonderful opportunity. They don't have shoes here yet. And that's that's just it's a shift in in mindset. Yeah. Now, does it mean that you'll have to change your lease structures? Does it mean you'll have to change how you design the space? Yes. But if it's a better way to serve your end user, do it. Evolveordie.com.
0: Evolve <laughs> and that actually <laughs> sure I actually it exists. I actually <laughs> I actually know it does. I bought the domain and had it redirect to my work world podcast.
3: <laughs> Come on, you own it?
0: Yeah, dude. Oh my God, that's that's die dot com. Go to it right now. That's amazing. <laughs> That was a great way to to finish this conversation. Dave, do you have anything
1: else you want to say? I just love you both. Man, angry. I will. I'll buy that URL from you for uh, me for, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I, you can buy the nifty. How about that? Sure. I
0: don't know how that works. <laughs> Get Anthony Slumber's in here to teach us. Wonderful.
1: Thanks for this, gentlemen. It was fun.
2: Yeah.
0: Thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to grabbing a, a smoothie or something right now. Hope you guys enjoyed that. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. And remember, fortune favors the bold. Drum roll, please. P.S. If you want to find out about future proofing your portfolio, head over to newflex.com.
2: This podcast was produced by a podcast company. If you'd like to find out how we can help you with your podcast, simply email jason at a podcast and check out our website at a podcast